We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Really excited to have you guys back here to listen to another episode of Finding Freedom. In today's episode, I'll tell you what, if you've been a fan of my show for a long time, if you've been listening since back in the Felony Friday days, then you are in for a treat. You're in for you know something familiar. I'm bringing on a guest who has been through the criminal justice system. He's going to share some stories about prison, some real stories about the politics of prison and what he's been through and uh, where he is today. Uh, my guest, Jason Ritchie, you know, he'll admit that he made some horrible, terrible mistakes and he deserved to do the time that he did in prison. Uh, but his story really sheds light on um, a lot of the issues there are with prisons and how they operate and the struggles with getting through that in order to find freedom on the other side. And you're going to like this this episode. And if you do, I'm sure you will, but please go and uh, make sure to subscribe either to the Lions of Liberty Network feed, if you haven't already, or to my solo Finding Freedom feed, where you can find it just by searching Finding Freedom and John Odermatt. Just punch that in any podcasting app and it'll pop right up. I do have a very important announcement before we get to today's show. Going forward, Finding Freedom will no longer be published on Thursdays. This will be the last time that this show is published on a Thursday. Of course, as we talked about, as you heard about last week on Mark Clare's show and on my show, Mark has left Lions of Liberty. And as sad as, as, sad as that is, uh, he's moving on and he has his, he's going to have a new podcast um, called The Mark Clare Show. So I encourage you to go subscribe to that. But as sad as it is that Mark is leaving Lions of Liberty, um, we have to move forward, and we are going to move forward, and we have some some good plans, some great plans. Brian and I are are working on some things you're really going to enjoy. And one of the things that's changing immediately is my show is moving to Monday. So you will find Finding Freedom no longer on Thursdays, on Mondays, in your Lions of Liberty podcast feed and on the Finding Freedom solo feed. So plan accordingly, and let's get into today's show. All right, I am joined here today by Jason Ritchie. Jason did 17 years in prison for manslaughter. He got out in 2017. Um, when he was in prison, he turned his life around. He got his GED. He got his associate's degree. And upon getting out in 2017, he got into San Diego State University and within a year of, uh, of getting out. And he's since graduated uh, with a degree. And this is kind of a throwback to, I used to do obviously more of these episodes when my show was called Felony Friday, but with Finding Freedom, um, it, it still applies with everything that Jason has gone through to get where he is today. 
um, we're going to hear his story. So, Jason, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. And, you know, like like we talked about pre-chat before the show, um, what I like to do, especially with stories of people who, you know, have been through the criminal justice system and, and experienced that, um, I like to start all the way at the beginning and get just to give my audience and, and myself to get a perspective of, you know, where you came from, where you started out. So let's start at the beginning, your early years, your childhood. Tell us about where you grew up um, and what your life was like growing up. Okay. I grew up in San Diego. Um, I came from a lower, lower middle-class family. Um, my dad was a hard worker in, in construction. Uh, he built houses and apartment complexes. And my mother was a stay-at-home mom for as long as they could uh, afford it. We had uh, five kids in my family. Um, there's actually more kids, but that was my like, immediate family. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, um, it was a strict conservative family, um, mm-hmm. Christian. And I feel like I uh, lived a little bit of a sheltered life um, in my youth. Um, went to a private school um, when they could afford it and was homeschooled when they couldn't. And uh, then we moved from San Diego to Oregon, Corvallis, Oregon, and they could no longer remote. I know Corvallis. I've I've been there recently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a nice college town. (laughs) It is, yeah. Home of the Beavers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So the city of San Diego passed a no growth ordinance, and that put my dad out of business because him and his partner had just invested in some properties. And um, so they basically went bankrupt because of that. And so my parents decided to move. They thought it would be best for the kids um, to not be in the big city, San Diego. And Mm -hmm. um, so they moved to Oregon and uh, I started going to junior high there. Uh, After Oregon, I moved to Washington State, uh, Seattle suburbs, Bellevue, Redmond, Kirkland, um, and went to public school there as well, high school there. I kind of consider that my stomping ground years, you know, as a teenager. Um, so, um, yeah, let's see. High school, um, I got a job offer to come back to San Diego to work for our pastor. Um, and when I came back, I started getting in trouble, started hanging with the wrong crowd. And it was like, the first time I left left the nest, um, mm-hmm. uh, left my parents. How, and, about how old were you at, at that point in time? Uh, 18, 19. Mm-hmm. And so um, I started smoking, smoking weed and um, the pastor found out and fired me and kicked me out of the house I was staying in. So I kind of went uh, homeless for a little bit there. Um, I got involved in a little crime and still running with the wrong crowd. And I ended up uh, killing somebody on the street in a street fight. 
and um, I was facing. So we, we, huh? You say risk the backup. You say run them with the wrong crowd. Like what? What type of what type of stuff? What type of activity were you into? Was it selling drugs or? Well, it was more like um, burglaries. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a hustle where we would buy candy for really cheap and then go sell it door to door, pretending to be high school kids. And some of them were high school kids, but like saying that it was for um, a school event or something like that, you know. Um, and then sometimes robbing the home, you know, when when uh, nobody was home. Um, I, I was sentenced uh, to manslaughter and residential burglary from where the gun came from. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely, I don't feel like, like I was innocent. And if I was innocent in any way, it was just in my naivety. Um, and just, um, living a sheltered life and then no longer, being in that safety bubble and just exploring and um, rebelling to rebelling against uh, the strictness of my family and stuff. Yeah. And when you're in your early twenties, right? This is like when you were in your early twenties. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a point in time where I think most people, you kind of feel invincible. I mean, you feel like almost nothing can touch you. So I'm curious after you know, after you 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 know the man the manslaughter happened and you're charged. At what point in time did it really hit you? And maybe maybe it hit you right away. Um, but at what point in time did it really hit you? What had just happened? What had just happened? Um, it was sometime in jail. Uh, being so young. Like you said, feeling invincible, I went in there, like, I look back at myself now and I think of the person I was and how, like, cocky I was, but not for good reason, um, just because I was young. Probably overconfidence to compensate for my true insecurities, you know? Um, So... I think I started having uh, nightmares in there and seeing a psych. And I think that's when it, it became real, real, like real to me, what really happened, like what I did, you know? So what was, what was jail like when you first, you know, when you first got in was, I mean, was it, was it a big shock, a huge change? I mean, what, what was that experience like coming into that? Yes, definitely. Um, the guys I was hanging out with on the street were uh, black, and I was raised Christian and raised to love everybody. And um, so, I I didn't have any. I have uh, my older brother and sister are half Mexican, and uh, like racial bias wasn't. I was kind of like a, a hippie as a kid. Uh, turned gangster, <laughs> kind of like listening to gangster rap. This was in the 90s. Um, so uh, 
I didn't have a racist bone in my body, but then going into jail in Southern California or California in general, um, it's all segregated. It's like self-segregated though. Um, mm -hmm. There's politics in there that are racial and that was new to me. Uh, I, I had to learn that really quick. Um, I say it took me like five years in prison to really wrap my head around what it was. And what, what do you mean by that to, to figure out how to, how to navigate it? And yeah, I think so because, uh, you're kind of forced to navigate it right away. Right. But I think, uh, mm -hmm. just the acceptance of it, um, is what I had to, to, um, wrap my head around. Yeah. So how many years came with your, the, I know you got out in 17, but the manslaughter charge, what, what did that carry with it? How many years were you sentenced to? It was 17 years total. So, um, it was 17 and some change of a few months. I don't remember exactly how many, but, um, so the sentence I got seven years for the manslaughter, it was 10 years for the gun because at the time they were very hard on uh, gun enhancements. And um, I signed a deal uh, for manslaughter so that I wouldn't have to face life in prison, uh, a life sentence in the courts. You know, if I took it to trial, I was taking a chance of getting 25 or more to life. Um, they charged me with murder robbery which was special circumstances, which technically uh, is the death penalty. Um, wow. So I had a lawyer um, who cared, uh, Mary Jo Barr, and and she fought for me and she believed in me. And she she believed that I deserved a second chance and that was, I was, was young. She a court, was she a court-appointed lawyer or was she yes. the lawyer that, yeah? Yeah, she was a, a public defender, yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, so because she believed in me and fought for me that, um, she was able to get me that deal. There was also, um, something about the, the DA or the DA got switched because, uh, right at the end, right up coming up to the trial, um, something to do with, with the fraud or something. And so they had to put a new DA in our case. So that, that also helped too, because that lawyer wasn't prepared to fight in my life. We had been fighting it for a year already. So my lawyer had already been building the case, our case and, um, had her, her plan and strategy and stuff to fight it. Mm -hmm. And then we got a new DA. So I think that helped also give us a deal because, uh, back then they weren't giving a lot of deals. They're very tough on crime in the nineties. Uh, this was 1999. Um, and they were giving out life sentences like um, mm -hmm. to a lot of people. So you mentioned it took you took you five years to to really adjust. Um, what kind of what kind of led you to to that adjustment? Were, were there? I mean, was it an epiphany that happened? Was it something that that changed? Was it was it somebody that? you know, that you knew in prison that, that you talked with, what, what, what led to that change? I think it just took 
five years for me to get comfortable in there to just uh, accept where I was at. Um, I went in there. Uh, I, I like to say, like when I was on the street, I thought I wanted to be a gangster. You know, I was listening to rap music and watching a lot of uh, violent movies, gangster movies and stuff. And, and I was a kid uh, coming from a, a conservative, strict, isolated family. And that appealed to me because it was very Hollywood. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. Oh, this was this was during the time of the east east west rap battles tupac yeah. it biggie, was at its yeah. peak yes yeah. <laughs> tupac and biggie mm-hmm. east coast west coast yeah it was very popular and mm-hmm. uh i i kind of uh, bought into that a little bit and i think i tried to identify with it to um escape who i really was like who i was you know, raised to be, and um, I didn't like where I was at, so I was trying to be something else, mm-hmm. and um, that's what I chose and what led to that. You know, 17 years in prison gave me a lot of time to think about these things, and uh, I've come to understand myself and and what led to my crimes um, because I've put in a lot of thought. I've had a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> What, what what do you think led to your crimes? What why do you think you ended up in that position? Well, like I said, um, it was a lot of a large part due to rebellion, mm-hmm. um, and like I said, the the influence of the media, um, and yeah, like I was saying uh, before, like not being content with where I was in life with with the the cards I was dealt and trying to be something else, trying to break away from that and, and find, find my own identity. Um, and I, I just made some bad choices. <laughs> yeah. So did you find your own identity then in prison? I did. I, I definitely discovered who I am. Um, so that this can get really deep and get into controversial things too. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, race and politics. I mean, I mean, say, <laughs> race I, I, say, say, say as much you're comfortable with, obviously. But uh, yeah, I mean, this this okay. is a podcast, so we we can go into any, anything you want to. Sure. <laughs> but race and religion, uh, politics, mm-hmm. you know, all very controversial subjects. You know, you're not even supposed to talk about them in public. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> um, so I, I, in prison, I learned who I was. Um, I learned, okay, so uh, racial politics in prison is it, it's very racist, right? And separatist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I learned a lot about them, about their thinking because I was just amongst them and it's kind of go along to get along while you're in there. You just, you just, uh, because if you don't, then you're going to become a victim. Right. So, um, but in that going along to get along, I was also, uh, learning, uh, history and culture and stuff, uh, prison culture, but also, uh, 
uh, European culture. Um, and they like to teach that to give people, um, to give the whites in there um, a pride, I guess, mm -hmm. pride in themselves um, to kind of recruit. So, um, so I learned, I learned a lot about that, but I learned, I went beyond that and I, I studied for myself as well in there. Like studying was my thing in there. I love to read and I love to, to learn as much as I can. And I did as much uh, college and schoolwork as I could in there as well. And um, I just feel really comfortable now about knowing who I am and where I come from. And that goes beyond um, just uh, race or, um, you know, borders, countries, you know, mm -hmm. um, it goes in, I studied science as well and, and uh, philosophy and psychology and, and uh, just, I, I read really broadly, really broadly. And, and sometimes in my mind, I would uh, debate these greats, you know, in my head while I'm reading with them. And, uh, but there, yeah, I don't know. I just learned, I learned a lot in there with that time. And I became very comfortable knowing who I am, where I came from and where I'm at in this world, you know. Were, were you confident? I mean, you had a 17 year sentence. Were, were you confident that you were, that you were going to get out of prison and, and how did you prepare yourself while you were still in prison for that, for that release? Yes. Uh, uh, well, no, I was not confident at all. Um, from the moment I went to jail, I didn't believe I was going to get out. I thought I would get a life sentence. And when I was sentenced to 17 years, that was a huge release, uh, relief. But mm -hmm. it wasn't the end because I had to do 17 years. And they gave me three strikes in that sentence. And that three strikes meant that I didn't have any chances. So they wanted me to do 17 years without getting in any trouble or, or doing any more crime. Mm. And um, that was very difficult to do because there's pressures in there to, with the politics to get into fights, you know, even just out beyond the politics, just, just uh, bullying or uh, you have to stand up for yourself in there. Um, mm. Otherwise you will be made a victim and it's sad to say that sometimes uh, uh, you have to you have to hurt people in there. Um, otherwise, you'll be hurt. You know. Mm -hmm. um, so um, it was very very difficult to navigate the seventeen years uh, with with that with. Um, trying to walk that fine line of not getting in big enough trouble to where I would go back to court and get sentenced, picking up another strike and getting struck out basically. And so one strategy I came up with is on the yards, every yard I went to, I would go, I would talk to the shot caller and I would tell them, I would raise my hand, they call it raising your hand. So I'd raise my hand to tell them, anybody you want beat up, just let me know and I'll go beat them up. And what that did for me was um, 
it allowed me not to have to pick up a knife. Um, so I would do things to support the car, as I say. Um, so there's basically four cars in prison in California, which is uh, white, black, Mexican, and other. And other consists of uh, mostly Asian or different kinds of uh, uh, smaller uh, cultures that are in mm -hmm. prison. You know, they kind of group together into one to be able to uh, run politics with the bigger cars. Um, I'd say Mex Mexicans are the biggest car in California. Uh, uh, the Serenos, the Southern, and they're they're split into two. Uh, Serenos and Norteños, um, but uh, yeah, where's that going with that? Um, so, by you, you were talking, you were talking about how you would offer to to go fight, so you wouldn't have to pick right. up a knife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I I would offer to go um, beat up somebody that quote needed to be beat up, um, and that way I wouldn't have to go stab somebody else, and because. The way the DAs work is they don't often pick up cases that are that are fights unless there's a very serious injury, um, um, unless it results in serious injury, or sometimes they'll do it um, if it's like two on one or three on one or something because a lot of times uh, the guys that mess up in there are getting jumped for their their punishment or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I would also often try to go alone and tell a shot caller, like, I think I can handle it, but just let me go alone. And, and that way I was protecting myself from the DA trying to pick up a case against me because I could just say, uh, this guy started something and it was just a mutual combat, you know, and they're, mm -hmm. they aren't known for picking up mutual combats. So how frequently would you, I mean, would you would you do something like that? Was this? I mean, obviously, is this, is it like a monthly thing, or is this like how 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 frequently? Um, probably every three to six months. I never stayed on a yard for more than a year, so I bounced mm -hmm. around a lot. Um, that's because I I was in so many fights. Um, because um, I mean, and that's just the political side of it. Um. There's also, uh, there's other personal things you have to deal with too, you know, but after a while you start to get a good reputation and that helps as well. Mm -hmm. And then you start to learn the politics of it and being able to negotiate your way or just play the game basically. And, um, basically be the one sending someone instead of being the one sent. Yeah. So as as you got closer and closer to, you know, fulfilling that seventeen year sentence, and you're still dealing, you know, with all the internal prison politics, and the fights and survival, um, how did you reconcile the two? With you know, as you got closer, to actually getting released to still dealing with where you are in that current moment inside a prison. Mm-hmm. Um, well, <laughs> um, at some point, okay, so I was mainlined for 12 years, and 
I guess I'm more comfortable saying this now that I've been out five years and like separated myself from prison politics and that lifestyle. Um, but I mean, uh, it is like, I put myself at risk by saying this a little bit. I, I, it feels that way. I don't feel that way I mean, so if much if anymore. If you, if you don't, don't, I mean, if you want to say it, you don't have to, I mean, <laughs> it's, up, it's up to you. Um, well, I don't know. Um, I think it's okay to tell my story. And if it helps anybody, sure. then good. Um, so I, after five years, after 12 years in prison on the mainline, I caught an attempted murder, which was a political um, move to uh, remove somebody from the yard. Um, and I went to the shoe and I did uh, three years in the shoe, which is essentially a long-term hole, mm -hmm. a segregated housing unit. And at the end of that term, uh, I was asked to kill somebody else. And I just wasn't in a position, um, I wasn't close with the people in power at that time, at that place at that time. And so I was just being kind of used. Um, so, but at that time to answer your question, um, I made a decision that they weren't respecting my life and that I needed to, what they call lock up. I needed to uh, go into protective custody and I chose to do that and spend my last five years in protective custody um, rather than kill somebody for the cause or, um, you know, for the car. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't feel like they handled it responsibly. And then I would have done a minimum of seven to eight years for that. And that's just not how politics is supposed to go. That's not how I was taught to run politics. And I felt like uh, they're uh, using and abusing their power. And so I made the decision to protect myself and um, no longer associate with that um, with them. So, so after you made that decision um, and you changed and you removed it into protective custody, was it... I mean, was it easier to, to focus on getting ready for your release, preparing yourself? Yes, a little bit. Um, so in protective custody, um, it's shifting, right? So things, things are changing in uh, California prisons. And there's uh, the protective custody is in a sense, becoming a mainline, it's it's grown into something that's uh, almost just as big as the mainline. And um, so, um, let's see, what was the question? <laughs> oh, uh, working did, towards did, like... Yeah, did, did, when, you, when, you, when that move happened, did it make it, did it change? Did I mean, was it, I don't want to say easier, but was it different or, you know... I guess easier to uh, to start to work towards you know 
preparing yourself to eventual release. Yeah. Um, so it was easier uh, because there's there's less politics. Um, mm -hmm. There's still politics though, and there's still gangs. Um, but the racial politics is a lot less on the other side. Um, so that on on uh, the PC side, like you don't, there's less obligation. Like um, there's nobody enforcing that you have to be a gang member because you're white. You have to ride with the white car, mm -hmm. which on the main line, like from the moment you come in, you have to ride with the white car if you're white. Or if you're Mexican, you have to ride with the Mexican cars or black, but you know, so on. Um, so uh, on on the PC side, there's there's less enforcement for that. It would be more of a peer pressure thing. Um, but then there still is a solidarity, and I think it's just about safety in numbers and people grouping mm -hmm. uh, with what they know and understand. But, um, yeah, it was easier because yeah. it was less less politics, but it's not to say that there wasn't any politics. There are still um, gangs. And then, um, yeah, so I, I still had to, I was on my own more and I had to stand on my own more. Um, so it was a lot better for me to be able to make decisions on my by myself and I didn't have to jump into a riot because somebody bought drugs from another race and couldn't pay it, you know, mm. I uh, that type of thing. I didn't have to um, beat somebody up uh, who just made it a foolish mistake. Um, I could just protect myself. And, and I was able to focus a lot more on my education and stay on yards longer that way. Mm-hmm. So, so take us through when you when you do get you know the call that you're that you're going to get released. Um, take us through you know what what happened there, what it felt like. Okay, um, it was uh, it was unreal. Like up until the moment I got released it was almost unbelievable that I could be released. Um, and I, I, I think something in me was like holding back, like just, uh, like I lived so long, like with just, just enough hope to be able to, to work towards it, but not even ever really believing that it was possible. Um, so just preparing myself to accept that, accept the inevitable of me spending the rest of my life in prison, um, because any little thing could, could, uh, lead to that. <clears throat> so, um, up until the very moment I was released, it was just still uncertainty of that I was going to be released. Um, and, um, yeah, but being released, um, was just amazing feeling 
just freedom, elation. I have videos that just smile ear to ear. I had some, I have some lifelong friends and my brother that came to get me and it, it just felt great. Um, it was, it was strange. It was also strange. Um, mm -hmm. surreal, um, yeah, foreign, <laughs> um, but it felt good. So were you released to, to a halfway house or how, how did that work? No, I did a hundred percent of my time. So okay. you're often have a sentence. Mine was like 17 years, four months, I believe. Um, and I was given 85%, which means you're only supposed to do 85% of your time. They give you the opportunity for 15% good time. That was my case. Um, but doing so long, I knew from the gate that that 15%, I was never going to make it through 17 years um, and be able to hold on to that 15% because there's just too much, too much can happen in that time. Mm -hmm. Like one, one fight will probably wipe out like 5% or I don't, I don't know the exact numbers. I, I haven't done the math on it, but um, for example, say uh, getting into a fight, wipe out you know a few percentage of that and so in 17 years i knew there was no chance of me ever um getting that 15 percent good time mm -hmm. um but uh which is a shame because it didn't give me much incentive and i think they've realized the oh. fallacy of that um and i've noticed the change while i was in there in in the program and the thinking and even the name of, uh, there was CDC, and now it's CDCR, which is California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. And there's a focus on rehabilitation now and on education. And I believe in the sentencing that is showing as well, as, as well as the, um, the programs and stuff coming out of prison. So to answer your question, I didn't, I didn't have to go to a program because I did a hundred percent of my time. So doing a hundred percent of my time, I was released. I was, I was allowed to go and I just chose to go back to family and friends. But, but while you were in prison, you know, speaking of education, you, you got your GED and, and an associate's degree while in prison. Is that mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so I got my GED within like the first three years. Um, I had started going to school to, to college actually before I went to prison, but I did it in a running start program uh, where you start to go to college as, as a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. um, but then I never completed. I had like just uh, one class left or something like that. And I didn't complete that. Um, so I never actually got my diploma or walked. And then, um, yeah, I, I constantly, my whole plan was to go to school, was to um, get an education, educate myself as much as I could while I was in prison. Um, and I took college classes as much as I could, but because of the, um, just the volatility of the environment uh, and not being able to stay in one spot 
for long. Um, I was in, it took me like 15 years to get my associate's degree in there. And that was trying to do it the whole way. Mm-hmm. Um, it also uh, is because I didn't have the money to do it. I didn't have someone just paying for it. So um, I did complete my associate's degree on my last year in prison. And I got out in February and I got to go to the college and walk with the other students uh, oh, for wow. my associates. And that was pretty cool. So, and then pretty soon, within a year after getting out, you started college, right? Yeah. Uh, education has always been a, a big thing of mine. And I had hoped to get a bachelor's or master's or something. I figured 17 years, I'd, I'd have plenty of time to do that, right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, so when I got out, there's a program I heard about called Project Rebound. And it's a program to educate the formerly incarcerated and into higher education. And they, they originally in San Francisco state and, um, the year I got out, they branched out into, I believe eight other CSUs and San Diego state was one of them. And San Diego is the uh, city I was paroling to. And so I paroled to San Diego and, as soon as I got out, I went to probably with weeks with within weeks of paroling, I went to the Project Rebound office at San Diego State, and I told them I wanna, I wanna go to school. I wanna continue my education, um, and they helped me. They advocated for me, and they helped me with the paperwork and things like that. Um, and I got in. I got into San Diego State. Um, I believe the the following semester. Um, yeah, I think it was, it was, uh, fall, fall, um, 2017 or might be, it might've been spring 2018. So how long did it take you to, to graduate and, and what did you, what did you major in and all that? Well, I had my associates already. Um, it took me two and a half years to graduate, um, to complete my bachelor's um while i was in prison i i did so much time and i was getting out in at 37 and i was i was like thinking like what's the coolest thing i could do when i get out because i'm probably never going to retire because i'll probably be working the rest of my life like i served my retirement in prison right so i thought that going into film would be the coolest thing i could go into and so I, I earned a degree and uh, I ended up doing an interdisciplinary degree in mm-hmm. film, journalism, and art. That's cool. So, so have you had any, any jobs in, in that field since you got out? Any work? Yeah. Yes. Um, I do side, side gigs. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do uh, photography and film for often, um, my realm has been in like nonprofits, um, in places like uh, of reentry and also recovery. Mm-hmm. And um, so, when when I got into San Diego State and became part of that program at San Diego State Project Rebound, um, I started seeing 
the amazing life transformations of my cohort, my friends uh, around me that were also formerly incarcerated and coming into college and doing some amazing things with their lives. And so I, I was like, somebody's got to start telling these stories. And so I just decided to do it. Uh, I used my student loan money to buy a camera and sound equipment uh, uh, the best I could afford. And I just started filming uh, my friends and it, it ended up turning into a film that got picked up by KPBS. It's called Rebound. And it's, uh, we narrowed it down to two women, uh, two formerly incarcerated women uh, who have gone into higher education and both graduated from San Diego State. One is currently uh, pursuing her doctorate in North Carolina or South Carolina, I forget. Mm-hmm. And um, the other one is now pursuing her master's at San Diego State. Wow, that's cool. So I got to help them tell their stories and make a full-length documentary. And it got picked up by KPBS, which was like my favorite channel to watch in prison. So uh, <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> that's awesome. So, so something happened to you recently within the past few years where you got into some more trouble with the law, right? You had a couple of DUIs. Yes. And you ended up, yes. did you end up going um, back to what, what, what happened there? Yes. So, um, I, I got out of prison and I started doing really good. I was focused. Um, I told myself to stay away from guns, stay away from drugs. Um, I did great. I graduated from college. I got off parole. Um, I made a documentary um but then uh a big factor was covid right and uh i became bored and isolated and i turned to alcohol um i started drinking too much and um so i ended up getting some duis like a ridiculous amount of duis actually during that time and i got four duis within four months Wow. And yeah, it's it's crazy to to look back on that I can make such a mistake over and over. Um part of it I I believe is uh there's always multiple factors, right? Um but one of the big factors was I lost my little brother to heroin uh heroin slash uh fentanyl overdose. Um sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I think I was grieving him and trying to drown that pain. Um, I feel good now and, you know, it's hard to explain, but, um, I'm sure there's, uh, traumas and stuff from the past, from prison, 17 years in prison, you know, that were catching up with me, even though I was, I was doing good and performing well in school and stuff, uh. Uh, I'm sure there's there are psychological, uh, mental things that are catching up with me, and there's just personal, personal life issues as well, and yeah, it was just uh, it just all culminated in with COVID and um, alcohol is what I what I turned to, and uh, I think once I got the first DUI, I thought I was through. I kind of gave up. And I thought I was going back to prison for life um, because I was a previous three striker. 
uh, that was the deal I signed to. And I thought, I didn't know the law. And I thought that maybe just that one DUI would send me back to prison for life. Right. But um, I came to find out that the laws had changed and some of the, um, the strikes that I signed to were no longer considered strikes. Um, so that wasn't the case. And a DUI, one DUI isn't a felony. It's a misdemeanor. But I was foolish enough to make to get four DUIs, and it's the fourth DUI that is the felony. Um, so, um, again, I got another good lawyer, a public defender who believed in me and fought for me. And I'm grateful to both of my lawyers for that. And, um, and also probably because of COVID, like, um, so we made a, um, we made a 50 page mitigation packet, which is basically outlining all the good things I was doing, you know, um, all the success that I had had since prison. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was working in my favor. And then I think also, um, the fact that it was COVID, they, the prisons and the jails were overcrowded and they weren't trying to lock up people for smaller things. So I think that that allowed me to get out. Um, I did have to go to jail. Um, I spent six months in there uh, fighting it. And um, I signed to to those six months in jail and then I signed to a six month program. And I ended up going to the Salvation Army and doing uh, uh, my recovery there. Mm-hmm. So, I have a little bit of time left, but I want to ask you two more questions here. Okay. First question is, is something that I ask pretty much all my guests. If there's anything, is is there anything that I missed that when you look at your story is really important that you like to talk about? Um, so I just want to give you give you time to kind of highlight that if, if you have something that, that I really missed asking you about. Yeah, thank you. Um I would say like what I've learned is that life is about love and connection and people need to be loved and they need to feel like they're a part of something other than just themselves. And they need, uh, so our society uh, could work on building that connection and community. Um, I think that's, that's what, uh, would keep people from committing crimes, um, caring about others. Um, and then there's, a, uh, I think understanding, um, for people, people's circumstances, um, because, uh, we all come from different backgrounds and, and some people are almost just destined to commit crime and go to, go to jail or prison. Mm -hmm. Um, just from where they come from. So I think it's important for society to understand that. And, um, and the third thing is I'm a huge advocate for education, education, uh, in prison and outside of prison and that, um, just, uh, knowledge of self and, um, knowledge towards like a passion, something you want to do. 
and having a, a meaning and purpose to life is is uh, uh, goes a, a long ways, I think. To um, right, so so not only like uh, you know higher education, but also self improvement and really mm-hmm. self awareness and understanding yourself, right? Yeah, I think that's very important. Yeah, and not that easy to find either. <laughs> no, no. It's, it, it, take, it takes work for sure. So wh- one more question for you. Um, you know, as, as you look forward in your life, you, you look at your, your past, everything that you've been through, ups and downs, and uh, you look where you are today. When you look out five years, 10 years, uh, what, types of, what types of goals do you have? What would you like to achieve? Uh, I have big goals, big dreams. Um, so I would love to start a production company. Uh, I'd love to start a platform and production company that um, uses uh, modern, modern, um, sorry, let me get this right in my head. I want to teach science through storytelling. Mm. And I want to um, do that through uh, digital media. And so I've, I've studied my going to school uh sdsu has been working towards that uh getting the interdisciplinary in film journalism and art and i've also been enrolled in a master's program for learning design and technology so i love learning and i love teaching and i want to uh, continue that path i would lo- also love to continue um, making documentaries and helping other people that tell their stories with my recent um mistake into uh, alcoholism um and also the uh the death of my my brother i have a passion for recovery now mm-hmm. and i want to do some projects in re- recovery i think i have some good ideas for that that's awesome is, is there any uh do you have any social media or any way people can contact you that you want to share if you don't that's fine just uh just put it out there uh i'll just put my email out there for right now sure uh uh, J Rich J A Y R I T C H six one nine at gmail dot com. All right, Jason. Well, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you in the future on you know accomplishing those goals. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you will, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. All right, thank you, John. Appreciate right, the opportunity. Thanks for coming on the show. All right, hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Finding Freedom. Just an incredible guest with the stories that he told. And, you know, I've had a lot of guests on in my time doing Felony Friday and Finding Freedom who have been through the prison system, who have lived out uh, the violence and lived out the the politics and and the racism that is rampant in much of the uh, criminal justice system, especially the prison system. And especially, and we talked about it a little bit um, on the show, my previous guest, actually, no, we didn't. That was after the show when I brought it up to Jason. My previous guest, Damon West, who uh, wrote the book, The Coffee Bean, talked talked about really facing that violence head on. And uh, Jason also got into uh, how difficult it is to navigate that violence and decisions that you have to make in order to survive in prison, to make it to the other side. So... A lot of people you know, look at someone like Jason with the crime that he committed and would say that he doesn't deserve a second chance. 
would say that he should serve his life in prison. Well, that's not something that, that I believe in personally. I do believe in second chances, especially when a crime like that happens at such a young age uh, when someone ca- commits a, a, a crime of manslaughter. Um, so, of course, someone like that, someone like Jason, is going to get out of prison. And the prison system, which it has changed some, but the prison system should be focused on rehabilitating people like that and making them into or helping to form them into individuals. Of course, a lot of it is on them to take the action, but give them the opportunity to become the individual um, where they can actually contribute value to society. It does nobody any good to have a, a prison system that uh, just is, is a culture that just makes people worse and beats people up and spits them out the other side as lesser human beings. That does not do good for that individual, certainly, and that's not good for society as a whole because people in Jason's, in Jason's shoes are going to get out of prison. And do you want them to come out rehabilitated and given an opportunity to actually thrive and add value to this world? Or do you want them to come out angry and upset and looking to exact revenge on anybody and everyone around them? I don't want that. And if you want that, then you're an idiot. But that's just how I feel about that. So I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. And I just want to say one more time, so you don't forget, this show, Finding Freedom, is moving to Monday. So you will hear it on Lions of Liberty next Monday. It'll be the next show you hear. We'll have back-to-back Finding Freedoms. Unless, of course, you're in the Lions of Liberty Pride, then you will get our bonus episode, our, which one of them, one of our bonus shows, which you have every week this time of year, is called Degenerate Gamblers. And uh, we'll be recording that on Friday and releasing it into our bonus feed on Friday. Of course, you can join uh, the Lions of Liberty Pride for as little as $5 a month and getting all that content. Just go to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. Join. Come have fun with us. It's a good time. It's a great community. And uh, I will talk to you all on Monday. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire's liberty burning. Burning.